Hello and welcome to the podcast series The Four Pillars, designed for allied health professionals, students, non-registered assistant practitioners and all associated learners. This short series is designed to open the lid on the themes related to continuous professional development and we will meet and discuss hot topics with a variety of AHP leaders, practitioners, researchers and learners and how they manage to advance their practice and that of those around them. My name is Dougie Laughlin and this podcast series is sponsored and supported by Glasgow Caledonian University and is designed to support learners undertaking the GCU post-registration master's module in advancing professional practice. Whether you are a registered AHP developing your personal development profile or a non-registered assistant practitioner developing your career towards becoming a registered AHP, we hope this will be of interest to you. The podcast series will introduce you to the contemporary thoughts on CPD and much of the content in each podcast will be themed to align to the four pillars of practice as outlined by many professional bodies and healthcare organisations. Each week I will introduce you to a different guest who I feel captures the desired qualities in the respective fields which highlight what it means to develop practice. I hope that by exploring these topics you will gain a personal insight into how you can develop yourself and your practice. Hello and welcome to the Four Pillars podcast series. This is episode three and I'm more than happy to introduce to you Ruth Patterson who's a practice education lead in Lanarkshire. Ruth currently works in NHS Lanarkshire as the practice education lead but is actually an OT to trade having graduated from GCU in 1993. With her diploma in hand she went out to change the world, which was rather short-lived, for after a summer working as an OT assistant in Fergusley Park, Renfrewshire, she returned to GCU to continue her studies and achieved a BSc Honours degree in Health Studies in 1994. Ruth started work as an OT in Castlemilk with Glasgow District Council. After a couple of years, she moved to NHS Lancashire to work with adults with learning disabilities, a role she loved, but she still missed working with patients in their own homes. Therefore, she moved back to local authority work, and this time with South Lancashire Council. In that role, she undertook some research on behalf of the council into services for people with an acquired brain injury, and soon after was promoted to team lead. As a team lead, she had responsibility for a team of staff, but also the education of all OTs, and their assistants, which included coordinating student placements. This was the natural progression for her then to move into an educational role, this time back with NHS Lanarkshire where she has worked since 2010. In her current role, it allows her to work and learn together with the other 10 allied health professions, their students and in partnership with five Scottish universities. Combining work with her studies, she's currently working towards an MSc in professional and higher education. Ruth does what she does because she thinks education has the power to inspire people to change the world. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce you to Ruth Patterson, who has been a colleague of mine for some years now. Uh, we both met, oh, Jing, so many years now. Well, I've been in this role 12. Oh, well, so probably about 12, 12 years, years ago. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and my role is, is, um, is as an academic at, at GCU. But, but Ruth, you were, you were practice education lead in Lancashire and still are. Yes, I am for a long time now. So listen, thanks for coming and giving us your perspective on this facilitation of learning pillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want to know your own experiences in your time as a practice educator and 
and really just you know what shapes you and your personal growth as, as a as a practitioner but also as a facilitator of education so i'm going to start off with our first question we ask everybody is what has driven you personally in your own cpd in a sense i find that quite it's quite an easy Every question is easy to ask and difficult to answer, isn't right, it? So, in a sense, though, there is there is an easy answer to it. I'm always driven by something that I can't do or don't know that I should know. I'm a typical adult learner in that sense. Mm -hmm. so, who tells you you don't know it though? That's a good question. Because I get that. That's a good, que yeah, that's a good yeah. question. Most often, it's a patient. Yeah. You can't okay. solve something for a patient, or the normal approach that you use doesn't work. So you're mm -hmm. like, well, you, where do I need to go for this? So there's a question posed to you from a patient. In this role that I'm in now, there's a question posed to me from service, so it's just slightly different, or from a practice educator. Mm -hmm. So somebody asks you, excuse me, somebody asks you the question, and you're going, I don't know the answer to that, I should know the answer to that. So yeah. I'm going to go and cover up that bit of me that doesn't know and should know. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's maybe something that's born out of, you know, when we Get, to flip the side of that is if we get too comfortable in our practice, we don't challenge or what we don't, we don't see don't the problems, yeah, yeah. You're right, we don't hear the patient question. The patient becomes a problem because they don't fit into how we work. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. Yeah. And so you could run roughshod, if you like, over that problem by thinking it's just a problem or it's an irritation to me. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the difference. It's seeing that as this is a problem to solve and, and therefore, I suppose, taking it I guess what's difficult though is the emotional reaction to that, isn't mm. it? It's like, I can't solve this, I'm panicking. Yeah. And I should know it, and I'm panicking. I think it's the emotional thing that maybe we avoid, whereas yeah. turning it into a cognitive thing perhaps helps. Yeah. So it's like, well, this is a problem. This patient's asking our service a problem. They're asking us, we can't solve this, we need to find something. Mm -hmm. And I guess in a way it's an opportunity to learn, whereas yeah. seeing it that, maybe just seeing it that way, mm -hmm. Like not as a flaw, not as a weakness, yeah, yeah, but an opportunity yeah. to develop opportunity and to learn. to learn. And I think something else that we're, we're not very good at, and I've not been very good at in the past, is saying, oh, excuse me, over here, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing over here. Do you know, has somebody seen this before? Yeah. Or, or come with me on this journey and we'll learn stuff yeah. about this. We're, we're, I don't, but it's a time factor thing as well, I think. We're on to the next thing and the next thing. Because I think sometimes we're always living in the next 20 minutes after this patient. It's who's coming in next, who's coming in. And maybe there's a wee bit of, of a time factor. But for me, it would always niggle me. Yeah. It would niggle me and niggle me. Do you have difficulties finding space to address some of these niggles that you have because mm -hmm. you're going on to the next 20 minute patient and the next, you know, the that thing, is, is this the issue? It is the time. thing. It is the thing. But I think. I think what you've, it's a bit like, I can't think of the words properly. I'm going to blame the menopause, right? I'm sorry if that's not appropriate, <laughs> but I'm going to blame the menopause. But it's that thing about sometimes taking a step back and spending the time now will be for the next question that's asked. Yeah. So it's not just about solving the one in front, it's about solving all the ones in front. Mm. It's worth mm -hmm. taking the time for that reason. Mm. Yeah. But you're right, finding the balance of time can be a challenge, but... Being person-centred is not just about the person in front, it's all the persons behind and all the yeah. persons in front. And it's important, I think, that you... It's important that you take yeah. that journey. No, I like that. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that's coming through there and the essence of what I'm hearing you say is, is that, you know, that drive or that trigger 
actually comes through the this the questions that are coming from service users and clients. And, you know, sometimes I think it's very easy to think that CPD as a process is governed by your employer. But actually, what you're telling me is that there's an internal driver there that actually says, no, as much as yes, that is something I need to do to maintain my Mm -hmm. registration, actually the trigger here is coming from the client that I'm trying to help. That's the way I see it, yeah. Yeah, That's that's what I look back and see as my next, as my motivating factor. And it is the strongest motivator because I just don't want to get caught not knowing what I should know. Yeah, no, I get that. That's yeah. strongly motivating. Well, let, let's maybe talk about that, maybe in, we'll develop that theme a little bit more in the personal element, and you can maybe give us a, an experience and, and, and a, an example. Was there a, a specific moment or a specific incident that made you think, well, I or we as a team can do better than that? We can do better. I think when I moved over to the educational role, that's, that's a big steep learning curve and I think when I came over I was doing things for people so we need an induction pack for students coming out (laughs) on placement I was making induction packs and then I I was responding in these ways and making these things and there was a point where it just felt a wee bit I'm doing this induction pack and I don't know I don't understand induction Mm. you know why why are we doing induct what is it that we're trying to what is the the purpose of this process yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that for me then caused an adventure into what is induction mm, yeah. is it just that we want people to go through stages of things and come out the other end you know i didn't think that's what it was but that's what it was being so we check that people know where the toilets are check yeah that they know how to make so it's tick box isn't yeah. it it's it's very much set you know hitting criteria that yes. you've addressed and it's almost like you from an educational point it's, it's content giving yes. and you're just providing yes. information yeah. and making sure that that's been whether it's been understood whether it's actually developed yeah. that individual whether it's of purpose for them to in the role but if if you know. Then you've got two things, haven't you? Because yeah. you've got an organisational yes. need and demand to and say that you probably, have done that. And there's safety yeah, elements. From a liability point yeah. of view, they need to demonstrate that these things have been done. But mm. actually, are they understood? That couldn't be the whole of my job. No. It's for the organisation performing this. Mm. It had to be, mean it for me, it had to be a meaningful exercise. Yes. So I think that's another thing that triggered me to go, wait a minute, I'm developing this. But what? What and why am I developing it, and what's what's the purpose of induction? Is what are, what is it that we want people to? I don't know. Achieve. Achieve. What do you yeah. want it to be like? What do you want it to feel like? Yeah. What do we want it to feel like? I think that was a big thing for me. Yeah. What do I want this to feel like for people? Mm. I want it to feel like we've got you. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, I I love that kind of feeling that um, that. When we look at facilitating learning, we're not necessarily just providing content, but we're actually creating a sense of whether it's safety, whether it's intrigue, whether it's the juicy curiosity, whether it's that element of this is a place that you are developing and you feel fulfilled. And, and uh, sometimes education can be quite unfulfilling if it doesn't always work. But do you know what's interesting? It's just occurring to me as we're talking. Yeah. Do you know what the measure is? The measure is that you've done the induction pack. Yes, so you've ticked those boxes. Yes. So the measure's yes. the same thing, but the value could be different. Of course. Yeah, and I think 
that's a challenging line to balance. I think if you're a practitioner, if you're in an educational role, this is a balance. And it's important to meet organisational outcomes, I get it. But it's also important to add some kind of value. And the value things, like it's almost like you have an invisible aspect of your work. But it's the one that feeds you, if you like. Yeah. You know, it keeps you interested, it keeps you... Yeah, and I think that's been important for me. Oh, thanks. Well, we're moving on to more specific question, um, Ruth, and... and I've known you for some time. You've always championed the need for practitioners to inform themselves and of their actions and their activities as these supervisors or mentors or practice educators of, of typically pre-registration learners. Why do you think it's important to understand learning theories as a practitioner? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Answers on a postcard, please. Yes. Or indeed, are learning theories the be-all and end-all? Probably, possibly, potentially not. I do, I do wonder. I do wonder yeah. for practitioners. So I think when I'm first hearing that question, I'm thinking, but is it though? Mm. Is it necessary for practitioners to know? And I think an example I've got from life is I don't teach my children the theory of balance before I put them on their bikes. Mm, good, like that. I put them on bikes. Yeah. And they fall off. And then yeah, possibly often. Mine is. <laughs> I've got yeah. lots of scabby knees to, <laughs> to pretend to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think about that and I think, but there are things I do need to know about. And I, if I put them on their bikes, they also don't need to know the Green Cross codes. Is that even a thing anymore? I don't know. Giving away my age, maybe. But they don't need to know that, but I need to know that. Yeah. I need to keep them safe while they're learning to Sorry, I've just had a throwback to the Tufty Club. That's too far thrown back for me. I don't even Some know. of our older learners might remember the Tufty Club. It was, it was probably a forebearer of a Green Cross code. Ah, Sorry. I don't remember that. <laughs> wow, there you go. So yeah, the Green Cross code. So we didn't, we, but the kids didn't need to know that. I, I had to keep them safe while they were learning those kind of practical bits of their job. And I think I've translated that into practice in some ways. And I know I'm using a very nurse-focused example. I use quite a few because we've all experienced nursing things more than you can say we've all experienced an orthoptist or a oh, dietitian. Yeah, no, yeah. So I use the nursing examples. So if you're going to, if you if somebody's taking your blood um you know with consent <laughs> as opposed to vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if somebody's taking your blood, for the learner to learn how to take your blood, in a sense they're going on the bike. They're okay. practicing the this is it psychomotor skills. Yep. They're yep. practicing that. But the technical element. The, the technical, and it's all absorbing. Mm -hmm. It's your job. I mean, to be a mentor for somebody in practice, I think, or a practice educator, supervisor, is the most important job in the world, right? Because you're the one that's keeping the patient safe in that environment. You're keeping the learner safe, but it's your job to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I see, think that's, I see where you're that's lovely because your student maybe can't do all the communication elements while they're learning to take the bloods. Now, I know I'm using that as an example, oh, but yeah. they can take the bloods and they're focused on that. Yeah. And I think it's important to let them focus on that. So, in Talk one about th automatic nature, really, there, mm -hmm. aren't we? You know, at what point does that technical proficiency become automatic, that the communication can happen alongside the technical... You and know, don't we forget... Yeah. Don't we forget the journey we've been yeah, on to we learn there. that. Yep. So we are talking to patients, we're taking their bloods, we're doing whatever we're doing, but we're also talking and chatting. And sometimes we're, we're chatting about things like, you know, how's the dog? How's the kids? Mm -hmm. Do you know, we're not even talking about the thing because we've, we'll practice hands-free the mind, don't they? 
Yeah. So if your yeah. hands are, are just doing their thing, your mind can do what it likes. Yeah. You know, and, and we've all experienced that if you cycle, if you drive, you can drive and chat, you can mm. drive and listen to the radio, you can drive and not answer your phone, you can drive Hopefully. and do lots and lots of things. Yeah. Whereas when you're learning to drive, you, you can only... You're purely focused purely on that. Purely focused on that. Accelerator, brake, clutch. And, and not always in that order. All these yeah. things at once. Yeah. And I think our learner is the same kinds of... To me, it So theories like don't fit? Is that what I'm you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm okay. not saying that completely because sometimes theories can make sense of things. Okay. And that can help. So if my kids was consistently falling off the bike, then I might think, wait a minute, what's happening here? So then I would explore the theory for that. And having a framework, a simple framework, to actually mm -hmm. unpick those situations yes. and, and maybe plan for future action. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very simplistic, but actually it can be an incredibly helpful tool mm -hmm. at just preparing yourself for future events. Very um, powerful, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I think it's a very yeah. powerful thing. Yeah. If, if it's used correctly, yeah. it's a very powerful thing. Um, and in a way... If you feel safe in your supervising relationship, then in a way it's a way to safely challenge yourself and protect your patients yeah. from yourself almost. Aye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, we're going to talk about CPD a little bit more broadly than just reflection, but um, what aspect of CPD do you enjoy the most? And sometimes people don't always enjoy that process of new learning, but sometimes people there do. There is one thing I wanted to say on the earlier point, if you, okay, if you don't please. mind. I was talking about, this is something I find quite fascinating. It's what I learned in my journey, and it's why theories do matter, right? Oh, so, okay. away from why I thought they, they don't necessarily they don't, okay. matter. They don't necessarily, but there are times when they do. So, what my students were doing, these two particular students, was they were... I was trying to help them to develop as to think like an occupational therapist, but they were doing all the things I was doing. They were getting caught up on the, the administration bits, oh, and it was annoying oh. me. Right, I'm okay. going, you're not here to learn how to order a grab rail. You're not here to learn how to, to do these process things. You're here to learn how mm. to think like an occupational therapist when you see a patient. You're, you're, you're trying to make some kind of connection. You're trying to find what they want to do, you're trying to understand their life, that's what you're trying to do. It doesn't matter about these things and it annoyed me, it annoyed me for a long time. And then I discovered like Bandura's theory of uh, well, his precarious learning and the role modelling and then I discovered that their students copy the bits of you that they see because they don't understand the bits of you that they don't. Yes, absolutely. Do you know what? And then when that all became clear, the behaviour then of my students became really, really clear. You can only see what I do. Yeah. You can't see what I think. Yeah. And sometimes that's ingrained in the cultures of the, the supervisor as well. Yes. You do what I do. You, you see, do you I watch do. what I do. You replicate what I do. And yes. then you continue that. And now, don't get me wrong. It would have been dead helpful for me <laughs> if I could just get them to do these things. Absolutely. Yeah. But it was not yeah. the point in being on placement. Yeah. It's not the point to help me. It's not the point. You're replacing me. I need mm. you to be a better version of me. Mm. So, But uh, the other thing is I can't give them all my thinking which is the other thing that you get confused yeah, so about. You need to develop so your own. Yeah, so what that becomes about is facilitating their learning and helping them to make sense of what they're seeing. So, but the theories, like um, Leaven Wenger's um, mm -hmm. Situated Learning yeah. helped me with that, Bandura's Learning Theories. Also, I'm trying to think who else. 
all the adult learning theories, no stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to learn what I absolutely need to learn. Do you know? To that, that, I'm so that. Point. I'm so yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a pragmatism around that. Yeah, yeah, I'm that. So you put your learners in situations where they have to learn something because the patient demands it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are you going to do? Do you know? So there's a bit about helping them to connect the dots that leads to them deciding what to do. Mm-hmm. So I think the theories have helped me to understand that. I can't deny that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we need to know all a few things. Yeah, and maybe not upfront. Maybe definitely say. not up front. And, and that's really yeah. interesting from a kind of curricular design perspective oh, because yes. if we look at pre-registration programmes as they exist at the moment, the vast majority of AHP programmes at pre-reg have this, let's deliver content first before we let you yes. loose. That sentiment of the, phys- the students can't go out uh-huh. until they've covered pathophysiology of this or that or the next Knowledge thing. precedes action. Correct. So we... We think we need to know before we can do. So guess this challenges that. This will, Reality challenges so. that. Because well, do we need to know before we do? I don't know. Am I ready to actually go there and challenge that? I don't know. That's a big thing. Maybe that's thing. the next step. It's a question. It all it, all it, it does is pose a question of what we do. And that's something to be explored. It's not to say this is yeah. right or the other way is right. It is something to be explored. It's, there's no doubt that you know revisiting that practice-based, environmental, situated learning versus the kind of taught academic programme, that the contextualisation of that knowledge is something that can be really difficult to get across in a class situation, but in an environment that is actually living and breathing that situation or or client or the the kind of problem-solving and troubleshooting in real life, experiences of practitioners and learners and clients as part of that is is actually something that we we can't always recreate so there's an authenticity that comes through actually you know exposing Mm -hmm. somebody to that environment and then saying what do you think about that Mm -hmm. Uh, but but are we ready because that challenges a lot of the construct program design (laughs) i'm totally aware of this i'm totally aware of this but I think it needs to be explored. I think it's something worth exploring in some detail. It's just a question. And I do think that well, we all know about the theory to practice gap. And I think we've already touched on why some of that happens. Because in practice, sometimes we're in a, a routine of practice. And sometimes the routine of practice dictates what happens here for all sorts of reasons. And because of the context. The context changes how we practice. No doubt about it. And then... The academic thing is is probably a decontextualised way of practising that has that the- theoretical underpinning. And sometimes there can be a big difference between this is what we do here yes, and that's maybe what we should do here. And, and you know? that can be different not just across professions mm-hmm. but across units. Even yes, e- yes, even yes. similar you know professions but different departments or different units across the slightly. context is so important. But where education really, really helps us as professions, I would say, is to outthink practice. So they, both of them need to be a thing. They need yeah. to be hand in hand. They yeah. both have value. But whether, like you say, whether it needs to, the balance needs to be shifted a wee bit about what comes first. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. a question. Interesting. What aspect of CPD do you enjoy the most? I think you've probably heard all the way through this <laughs> interview, right? So for me, it's the discovery of something. Mm-hmm. So for me, the curiosity. So the curiosity is my a 
become very curious about things and I think when we talked earlier on about trying to get out of that emotional place because that's your first reaction and response and how if I can't solve this I'm a bad OT or I, I'm, not, I'm not a good I'm not a good person mm. do you know and, and that emotional bit of it's really really difficult because it makes us run away and I think for me getting that from that place up into a cognitive right, let's look at this let's look at what this is let's look at this as a problem to be solved rather than this same judgment mm -hmm. on myself, judgment on the patient, judgment wherever it sits, yeah, judgment on the service. It's about, right, okay, let's look at this as a, maybe slightly more objectively, I don't know if that's the right word because it's not the right word, because you need the emotion to motivate the discovery mm. of the answer. Emotion's really, really important. Yeah, so I suppose what it's funny because I, as as is typical between physios and OTs, I framed that question with a a, a thought that I would get a certain response. Oh, and you've given me a different response. No, it's great because I think that demonstrates my thoughts and shapes about CPD as a thing, mm -hmm. as a whereas you've given me what you enjoy about CPD is like an emotional impact that it allows yep. you to take your feeling to a certain place yep. and and I, I'm thinking of very kind of mm. what kind of as a as a as an actual uh, activity that we Ooh, do yep. but but I suppose every activity that we do is going to be plus or, or negative in a feeling and that's probably mm. what we migrate to mm -hmm. uh, and I think as a as a novice coming through my kind of formal kind of training and I was never particularly good at reading books and articles mm -hmm. I loved learning through watching through feeling yep. being a physio yep. a lot of our anatomy was actually not through a 2d or a book it was actually yep. through touch and feel and, and getting a sense for what tendons and muscles look like so for me you know that element of CPD was always about you know I want a body to work with I want to go and see it and feel it and touch it and see what happens when I move it this way uh, and I would try to avoid things like you know there's a, a, a textbook that's going to take you the next five hours and three pots of coffee yeah. but it's funny how things change in your career um, I'm, I'm probably more the other side now than, than what I was because both have value yeah. both have value it's just it's just the balance of both and what balance should we have. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I don't think discarding education, the way we have it, is a good idea either. Because then, well, that brings another series of problems, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think... About competency, about safety. I think um, that's the thing that we always... Well, we'll train people to... into how we do things around here. Mm -hmm. And then nothing ever becomes any different than how we do things around here. Because I think that's challenge the challenge. That. That's the yeah. challenge of that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely for me, that curiosity and that discovery of something, and then the trying of the discovery of the thing is important. And again, that that lives in the real world, doesn't it? Well, there's there's an element of like, this is what I think, uh, but I would need, it's hypothetical, deductive model of yeah. I think that this is going to work, but I need to play it out. I need to actually play it out and evaluate through some form of measure. Yeah. Has that made a difference and has, it, has there been an outcome from that change? Yeah. We do that permanently. We do yeah. it all the time. Yeah. So I quite like, uh, here I am with the theories again, but I quite yeah. like Sean's um, reflection and action model. Yeah. I like that because that makes sense. Because a lot of this stuff you're doing in, in very quickly, you're faced with a challenge from your patient. You're looking into 
some way you can resolve it. Mm. So you're trying to find something from your past that you can put together with something else from the past and form some unique response to this patient in front of you. Sometimes all in 20 minutes. All in, all in 20 minutes. Yes, <laughs> but sometimes you have to go away and ask yeah, people things, sure. look up stuff. Sometimes you have to do that, but sometimes you're doing it there and then. Do you know, and that's, that's, that's reflection and action as well. And we, we do that because because we don't want to not know how to respond. Yeah, no, that, no and then it comes right from that element, yep. right at the start about, you know, what is it that drives you? It's, it's that yep. will, it's that need mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, it's no, need to know, yeah. Our last question of the podcast is something we ask all our, our guests, and it's who benefits from CPD? Mm-hmm. I think there are, there I was going to say my initial response is to see me, right? Absolutely, is to see me. But I would say probably your patients. Or I'm saying patients, it could be anybody, your students, a practice educators, my um, professions will benefit from what I learn, I would think. I would hope, because that's the motivation for doing it. So you want that to be the benefit. Your organisation benefits. There's a, there's a lot of layers to that. Mm-hmm. and. And I think, you know, I suppose depending on what your stance is, what your role is, what your position is within that organisation, you might have a kind of influence over how that CPD can be managed. And I suppose that's the challenge to us, is to try and maximise the output. And, and do, you know to, what, do you know what the yeah. challenge is, I think, of this? Sometimes what you discover can be at odds with what's expected of you in the role and yeah. I think that's a proper yeah. challenge then that's when that's when you're going hmm, how can I then sneak bits of what I've learned yeah. into what I, I'm expected to do in my role and, and it's about that ev- almost evolving and there's a bit of proving to your employer yeah. that this will make a difference Absolutely. and that's effort too so it's not just about the CPD it's about the application just what you're saying the application of the CPD yeah. can be challenging because of the context mm. that you work in one of the yeah. one of the things that we talk about quite a lot and certainly post reg is about dissemination of, of what knowledge we, we find and if it's research if it's education or if it's theories or you know literature reviews or whatever when we're finding new knowledge who do you tell and who's who, who hears that new knowledge and it's something that I think sometimes we stop at that point, whether it's for academic need, because I needed to put that coursework in for certain credit in that module, and that's as far as it flies. But actually, that piece of work was possibly quite unique, certainly in postgrad, in postreg, mm-hmm. because all our learners in the Advancing Practice programme have got their own perspective of their own niche area of, of, of management. They want to learn more about that to become more expert in their own role. So some of these lit reviews that they're doing and they've possibly never been done before with that research question. So what I suppose I'm trying to get to here is that there's the element of learning, establishing that new truth or that new understanding and interpretation of truth. There's the dissemination of that, which actually it requires almost like change management processes involved as well because you need to be able to take that message mm-hmm. to a receptive audience who is going to get on board with you mm-hmm. and possibly not be ready for change. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking of the way through today. I'm going, yeah, I could be doing this CPD, right? 
I'm doing this CPD and then I'm benefiting internally from it. But sometimes that's where it gets stuck. What it, what it can do for me is change how I how I interact with the world. So it can change how I maybe run my learning sessions now because it understands a bit better. So it changes how I interact. But you're but you're right. I did think about that. I don't know the answer. How do you how do you get it out of your head into uninterested other people? Because yeah. immediately you're faced with this kind of disinterestedness out there. There's a yeah. and I don't know what it is. Whether it's a wearing down of or they don't need it right now. Maybe it's simply that. I don't need this right now. I went on a journey to discover that because of my question that was posed. Mm-hmm. I quest my alarm went off for some reason known to internal me, and I went on this journey to discover what this was, and then I'm giving it to you. That's it, isn't mm-hmm. it? I'm handing something to you that I hard earned, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. It's out of context for you. Mm-hmm. I don't need it now. And I suppose that's why. You know, trying to build, you know, advanced practice amongst the HP community is about trying to, you know, demonstrate that permission to take these steps into the unknown, to actually go and share your thoughts, your experiences with others, so that that change management as a a feel, as a receptivity of those others that you're working with becomes something that we're okay with. Change is okay. I think. And I wonder if it's about just asking the right question then. Are you struggling with this? And if you find that people are, but well, come and see the journey I've been on rather than the outcome I got from the journey. So not impose your findings on no, others, but ask others works. to feel that they're ready to hear. Are they ready to hear? Maybe it's the right question. Okay. If you find out what that is, you can tell me. <laughs> Ruth, it's been marvellous. Uh, thanks for coming in and hearing your, your thoughts and opinions and stories. They were wonderful. Um, thanks very much from the podcast. Thank you. And, it's uh, been a pleasure. Thanks, and, and uh, hope you keep hearing the alarm bells. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. Well, thanks to Ruth for that interesting insight into the second of our four pillars, the facilitation of learning pillar. Next week we will be joined by Kath Sharp who is a current colleague of mine at GCU and some of you may know her. Kath is a physiotherapy lecturer at GCU but she also has been involved in a variety of research interests over her years as a physio in GGC.